Well, Merry Christmas. So Advent is behind us now. And we've entered into the 12 days of Christmas, the season thinking about the incarnation together and enjoying that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want to ask, what was your favorite gift uh, that you received on Christmas this year? Perhaps for, for you um, and for many watching, uh, your favorite gift was that 2020 is this close to being over. I saw this uh, Christmas card floating around and it was a dumpster fire uh, and said 2020. I want to ask though, what, what was this year like for you personally? It wasn't just a hard year for us nationally and uh, internationally, but personally, what was it like? I've heard from many of you that it's been the toughest year in decades. Some of you lost loved ones. Some of you lost sources of income. And all of us have suffered from not seeing those we love. It's been a really hard year. And this is supposed to be the season marked by joy, but instead it's been marked by pain, by grief, by loss. A friend here at Grace has been isolated for the better part of nine months, and I was just speaking with her the other day, and she was saying, you know, the holidays are supposed to be this joyful time, but not this year. She can't be with those that she loves. And many of you can relate to that. And she sent me this text with a devotional, a picture of a devotional that she was reading just to give her some hope lately in this hard season. And I want to just share one of the quotes from that devotional. This is by Jermaine Griffin Copeland. Joy may seem to pause as grief takes its course, but those whose broken hearts are bound by him will experience it again. Joy may seem to have paused for many, if not all of you, all of us. And so we need a whole lot more than gifts and carols and a hefty dose of sentimentality this Christmas. Here's the good news. We don't have to settle for the fleeting joy of the world. At Christmas, we're reminded that joy came to the world. And there's two gifts um, at the first Christmas and why uh, they can bring us joy this Christmas that I want to focus on this morning. Two gifts and why they bring us joy. The joy of the incarnation and the joy of fellowship. And we'll look at those things. But first, if you're able, uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Our central text for today is found in 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of Life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is the joy of the Incarnation. John says that our joy may be complete. And before we look at that, though, I want to just give a little excursus into the background uh, of God's or of John's letter. So the Apostle John was one of uh, Jesus's closest friends and disciples. And several decades after Jesus's ascension, he wrote this letter to Christians most likely in and around the city of Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey. And biblical scholars show how 1 John is essentially recapitulating letter or themes from John's gospel. We heard a few verses read uh, briefly a few moments ago. So this is recapitulating some of those themes, restating those themes, but in a different context and with different emphases. So the gospel of John uh, reveals that both Jesus's followers and his foes and his enemies agreed that he was human, but not everyone recognized his divine nature. So his gospel, John's gospel, emphasizes the divinity of Christ. So for instance, uh, the seven I am statements of John uh, that Jesus made about himself, I am the resurrection of life, I am the light of the world, um, were echoes of what God called himself in Exodus 3, um, when he says, I am, I am, tell him I am sent you. So these were emphasizing the divinity of Christ. First John, however, speaks to a different audience and, and they had recognized Jesus's divinity, but at the expense of the humanity of Jesus, they downplayed his human nature. And so John's letter emphasizes his humanity. And this is why John starts by saying he personally knew Jesus. He saw him with his eyes. He touched him with his hands. He heard him with their ears. So he's emphasizing, again, the humanity of Christ. But I want to look at verse 1 again. John says that Jesus is that which is from the beginning. And a similar phrase shows up in Habakkuk chapter 1, referring to God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? God alone is from the beginning. That's a message throughout the scriptures. And John is therefore stating um, the divinity of Christ, the divine nature of Jesus. And, and he's also hearkening back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which John echoes at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So John is saying that the one who came at Christmas is the creator from the beginning. So where, where's the joy in that? So one of the things I have been really missing in 2020 is going to, to hear live music, going to concerts. There's something about the crowd singing and dancing uh, along with, their band, with the band um, that stays with you long after the final notes are played. And if it's an especially good band, uh, you might even buy merchandise and, and share about how great uh, that night was and relive it with, with other fans or try to convince people to become fans of this band. 
A great concert brings you joy in the moment and long after the crowd clears. And so in just one verse, John turns up the volume, as it were, on both the humanity and the divinity of Christ. Jesus, the one they saw and touched and heard, is the pre-existent creator of all things. Fully human and fully divine, that's Jesus. And this is why Christmas can leave a lasting impression of joy upon us. One of the reasons is because Christmas means God didn't send someone else to dwell with us. Into the chaos, into the mess, into the heartache, the pain, the death, God came. Heaven has come into our space and shared our human frailty, our human condition. And he brought joy along with him. C.S. Lewis says this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. You see, friends, that's why God came. He dwelt among us so that we may partake in his forever happiness along with him. And this brings us to uh, the second aspect of Christmas joy that lingers with us, the joy of fellowship. Let's read again, starting in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So twice, John speaks about fellowship, which leads to complete joy. So what is fellowship? This word is all over the New Testament, um, and it's often used in business part partnerships in the ancient world. For instance, in, in Luke chapter 5, James and John were in fellowship with Simon as fishermen. So they're in this business partnership, relationship for a common purpose, like fishing or, or like following Jesus. Relationship for a common purpose. Again, this word is all over uh, the New Testament, but I'm going to hone in on just one instance uh, in Philippians 1 because um, Paul also links joy with fellowship there too. So this is one of the letters that he wrote from prison. I'll read just a couple verses. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So joy and partnership, joy and fellowship. And about these verses, uh, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, the heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Paul is saying he's grateful and thankful with joy for their fellowship in the gospel and how from the moment of their conversion until now, they have rolled up their sleeves and got involved in the advance of the gospel. They supported Paul financially, prayed for him and witnessed, which all testified to their shared vision of prioritizing the gospel. So in other words, Paul is saying, even in prison, he can have joy because of their shared fellowship, their common vision with other believers. Yes, he was isolated. Yes, he was in the worst kind of quarantine imaginable, but his joy 
wasn't based on his circumstances. His joy came from sharing fellowship in the gospel. So growing up, uh, our church had what we called a fellowship hall. You may have uh, been in a church like that too. Um, and it was a room just, just outside the sanctuary and we would kind of talk and maybe drink coffee, fellowship hall. And here and John uh, as well, Paul reminds us that biblical fellowship is not a room outside a sanctuary. It's, it's relationship around a shared vision of following Christ. You know, buildings are good. And we miss meeting with you in the, in the building. I long to be in the building with you when it's safe and I can't wait um, for that day. Buildings are good, but sharing life in Christ, that common vision is so much better. But the elephant in the room is that you're watching this on the screen and I'm preaching to a camera in an empty room. Feeling close association, sensing that common vision is hard to come by right now. Loneliness is part of that dumpster fire that is 2020. But friends, fellowship does not have to be and here's why. Hebrews 12, 2 says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Jesus died so that we might have fellowship with God and his people. A virus can't stop our fellowship with God and with his people. John Piper says this, the incarnation was God's locking himself into death row. Christ did not risk death, he embraced it. Jesus took our nature in Bethlehem to die our death in Jerusalem. Jesus came and he died and he rose again so we could know and enjoy God forever together. But then the question becomes, how can we experience that good news today in a pandemic. Paul had a church family that cared for him, that loved him and brought him joy, even in isolation. And friends, that's what you have too. Christmas and the cross, they prove that. We love you as well. And you are part of the, the fellowship, that shared vision to live for God's world as God's people in the joy of God's gospel. And for those of you who are suffering in this season, please let us know. Don't suffer alone. We are in Christ together. So could this online service and these outdoor gatherings serve as a small reminder that you are connected to the greater body of Christ? you're in fellowship with him and his people. At Christmas, we remember that joy and fellowship are inseparable. Before we um, kind of jump to uh, some practical takeaways, and I want to do a couple things. First, I want to read a poem uh, that has really resonated with me uh, this last week, and it hit me kind of right between the eyes. I want to read this for you. You can meditate on it. Jack Gilbert says this, If we deny our happiness, 
resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. We must admit there will be music despite everything. And that's an echo, right, of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that Christians can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Joy in Christ does not mean glossing over our pain or, or, or pretending. It just means that it's not all, injustice is not all we give our attention to. If you're a Christian today, it means the locomotive of the Lord, I love that, has run us down. And if there's nothing else, that is something that we can be joyful in today. We can admit that there will be music despite everything. The music of all the crooked things being made straight, of all the tears being wiped away when he comes again. There will be music despite everything. We're going to listen now to a song. Just invite you to, to read the words, to, to listen in that hit, really hit on this, these themes of joy that we can have in Christ. However you're struggling today, however you're grieving, however numb you might feel, he has not left you alone. The Holy Spirit will come even now to remind you that you are his, that we are his. We belong to him. He will restore your joy. It's a fruit of your relationship with him, your union with Christ is your joy. And after we listen, I'll give some very brief uh, practical takeaways. So, Give the song a listen for a few minutes. When all I can see is my breath And my body collapses from all the weight You are the shield of my faith my head has been lifted in worry raised In peace I will lie down and sleep And dwell in the safety of your All of this joy in my heart Is greater than all that this world could provide Rejoice and be glad in Him Peace has come Rejoice and be glad Reviving the souls of his saints 
There is no greater relief than knowing in Christ all my joy is complete. Rejoice and be glad in Him. Peace has come. Rejoice and be glad in Him. Peace has come. In peace I will lie down and sleep. My joy is complete. In peace I will rise up and sing. My joy is complete. In peace I will lift up my head. My joy is complete. In peace I will walk in your light. My joy is complete. joy is complete. The rest of John's letter is all about discipleship, our daily fellowship with God and with one another. And I want to invite you to make a habit of just three very simple things that can foster joy. First John, but you know, why, why habits? And this is the language of the New Testament. First John, just a couple verses later in verse six, he says, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. In other words, if our habits don't line up with our beliefs, we will become people who sing joy to the world and yet are being formed by the fleeting joy of the world. Thus, our habits and our beliefs must line up. So three simple habits. First, let's enjoy God. The psalmist says, um, in his presence is the fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's not duty language. To enjoy him is why he made us. It's why he saved us. And one pastor said this, discipleship itself is a journey of morality as a discipline and duty into, into morality as a delight and joy in God. It's a journey from discipline and duty to delight. That's discipleship. And so spend time in his word and prayer each day, delighting in him, enjoying him. This season is too bleak not to do that. So let's enjoy him. Secondly, let's share our joy. Joy came to the world in Jesus. And like the shepherds, we carry a joy that's meant to be shared with others. It's designed to be given away. And what, what they do after they, what do they do after they find the baby? They run straight into town and say, the Messiah is here. And so I want to encourage you, look around you. And, and look for those who are depleted right now. 
Maybe an encouraging word, a call, a text, a letter, you know, maybe a helping hand, a meal, a gift, just to say, you're not alone, and share the joy that we have in Christ. Joy is evidence of living in another kingdom, and so let's share it. Let's share it. And finally, let's practice our fellowship. Let's practice our fellowship. Let's safely spend time with one another. Outdoor services, uh, worship groups are starting to form with the mindset. Let's do those things with the mindset and the body language and the words that we have a shared vision that we're following Christ together. We can show up, but, but we may not be uh, sort of modeling and exemplifying and living into our fellowship. So I just encourage you, let's practice our fellowship together. Tolkien's um, Fellowship of the Ring uh, was a story of very different persons coming around this sort of shared uh, and common vision, right? And deep friendships were formed along the way. And, and friends, that doesn't have to be a fantasy. That can be something we all experience, all of us. You might even hold different opinions from someone in our church, but that doesn't mean you can't have fellowship. Quite the opposite. Unity and diversity, not uniformity, is the vision of the New Testament, is the vision of the gospel and the fellowship we have. Unity and diversity not uniformity. The gospel is a sledgehammer that is big enough to knock down any dividing wall between us. So I, I encourage you, if there are walls between you, um, to, to knock them down with the gospel, to love, to extend a hand. Say, even if we disagree, I love you and I want to be in your life. I want to know you. So I encourage you to do that. And so let's practice our fellowship. Let's share our joy and enjoy the one who came to save us. And after all, in the words of Linus Van Pelt, that's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came. You came to save us, yes. And you came to give us joy. And I pray for every person watching this, that if joy has paused in their life, I pray that the music of the gospel would seep into their soul today would resonate with them long after the sermon because your spirit's at work in them. Bless them today. In Jesus' name.